everyone and welcome to the Living With Our Hope podcast. Welcome back. If you've been here before, I am so glad you tuned in. My name is Lena Abuchamra and I am your host. Uh, every week here we talk about hope and we have talked about all angles of hope. This week is actually going to be a little bit of a more difficult conversation, but I believe that it's going to help some of you. Uh, my friend who uh, you will meet in a moment uh, is named Patty Kajawa, and I actually have never met her in person. She is a friend from the blog, and her story is uh, going to be powerful, but also a little bit painful. Um, this is going to be a podcast that is going to help you if you are living with depression as a parent or as a family member. Uh, Patty's son took his life uh, six months ago, and we are going to talk about how um, she is finding hope in Christ in the middle of what is probably one of the darkest valleys that a parent can go through. So, Patty, I am so grateful for you for being here and for your willingness to talk with us today. Well, thanks for having me, Lena. I, 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 it's, this is a special opportunity, and I appreciate it. Well, and I, we've been talking a bit about how God is opening doors for you to um, be able to speak hope into people's lives, and I know you're going to do that today. But I thought before we get into some of that stuff, I want to get to know you more, and I know that it helps so much with context to hear a person's story. Maybe you could start by telling us a bit. I know you live in the greater Milwaukee area, but um, how, you know, tell us a bit about yourself. Who are you, and how'd you end up in Milwaukee? <laughs> Well, that'll take longer than the podcast, I think. But um, I'm originally from, I was born in New York, in the New York area, grew up in Connecticut, and uh, met my husband in Washington, D.C. I was a reporter. He was an architect. Somehow we got together, uh, spent a couple of years in D.C., Nashville, and Chicago. Then we moved back here to, um, my husband took a job back with his family business. And uh, so I am in Milwaukee and we have three children. We have Kate, who is 21 and at college in upstate New York. Jack is is our subject matter today. He, uh, well, he would have been 18 years old at this time. And then we have Ben, who is a 16-year-old at Marquette High in Milwaukee. And you were telling me you are a freelance writer, which is a pretty interesting job, but you write retirement benefits. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> and it makes most people's eyes glaze over, but I love it. Um, it's it's another way to sort of explain. I always say I speak ERISA, which is the law that covers um, retirement benefits. And my aim is mm. to help uh, plan sponsors understand their responsibilities better so that they can help their employees make good decisions on their, on their, uh, on that nest egg that they're trying to create. Cool. That's so helpful. And then you've served as a village trustee. So you're sort of in uh, local politics. Exactly. I guess. Yeah. So for about eight years, I served as a village trustee in Elm Grove, which is a suburb outside of Milwaukee and, um, have, you know, done everything from changed the, the, uh, park structure to create pathways. And now we're doing a whole downtown plan. So it's been very interesting. Interesting. Now your faith plays a big part in your life. Tell us a bit about your relationship huh. with the Lord. Well, um, Interesting. I, um, I I guess I grew up going to uh, Catholic school. I went uh, to a Catholic school first through eighth grade. So um, as I explained to a priest recently, I said, you know, Sister Mary Andrew loomed over my head when I was in second grade and scared, you know, the living daylights out of me. So um, it was very, it was very much a, a rote relationship I had with my faith. And it really wasn't until we started discovering that we were having some serious issues with our son, Jack, that actually he brought me back into the faith. Um, I would say it was, it was 
one day I got an email inviting me to do an online Lent program. And I thought, well, that's easy enough. I can do that. And um, so I was watching the daily videos. And, uh, you know, over time, I, I kind of realized that I was starving for God's love. And so mm-hmm. I, I, I bought a whole bunch of books. I found, I found you, I found the, you know, your podcasts and it went to some events. And I just kind of realized that I had so much work to do in this field with myself and, and kind of, you know, simultaneously as we were going through these struggles with Jack, I was realizing that in order for me to serve my family better, I needed to have a stronger relationship with God. Mm, That's awesome. Um, Let's talk a little bit about Jack. So tell us about your family dynamics. So you grew up, would you say you felt like your kids were happy, well-adjusted? I mean, tell us a bit about the background that eventually led to the tragedy um, of him ending his life. But what was the atmosphere like in your home growing up when it pertains specifically to um, Jack? Well, he was one of three. And I would say from a very early age, we realized that he had some self-esteem issues. Um, he was born September 4th. So here in, in the Milwaukee area, the cutoff for going to the next um, age level in school is September 1st. Mm-hmm. And so he was kind of on that cusp of, you know, do we push him ahead or do we keep him where he's supposed to be? And we ended up keeping him where he was supposed to be, but in doing that, um, he was he was always the biggest kid. I'm I'm six feet tall. He was six three, but when he was a child, he was it was kind of hysterical to see him with other kids. So because um, he was mm-hmm. just so much taller, and he often was seen as being older than he actually was, um, you know, and so it was, it was hard on him. And, and so in an elementary school, he was also kind of awkward because he was so growing so quickly. He just really wasn't in control of his body that much. So we didn't think that sports was going to be an outlet for him until all of a sudden he, he kind of grew into his body. And um, I would say it was fifth and sixth grade. He realized he had a knack for football and for, was very fast on the track field. And then um, later he started wrestling in seventh grade. So um, on, on any, on a court or a field or a mat, he really had, he was very gifted and, and very proficient, but he just always felt that he didn't have the smarts that um, his brother or his sister had and, and felt like, you know, he, he often called himself stupid. He, he really did not feel very good about himself. And, um, but in high, I mean, you never thought of him as depressed no, in that, in those days. No, like, I the, never thought of him as depressed. I just thought it was kind of, you know, I always said, you know, honey, you're in the just you wait club because someday this is all going to be, be fantastic for you and, and it's going to work out, but you know, right now, not so much, but you know, in, in that time, he also was a, a very attractive young kid and and he was really you know lots of girls really wanted to go out with him and that sort of thing and so he he thought that that was the way to become happy was to was to create those mm-hmm. sort of things when you know he wasn't he he wasn't really happy with himself to begin with and so how would the, did the unhappiness reveal itself? Would he get angry? Would he lock himself in the room and be isolated? Yeah. Like how did, 
you know, what were some ways that you could look back and go, yeah, yeah, I mean, he was, he was, it was more than just him. Yeah, no, um, he would, he would absolutely isolate himself. Um, and he would not really share with us what was going on. He wasn't doing, he wasn't doing well academically and he was refusing to do homework. In middle school, that was our main struggle. Uh, I can't even tell you how many meetings we had with teachers and, and, you know, and they weren't recognizing depression either. They, they were just like, you know, he's, he's, he's lazy. He's not getting the work done. And, and we kind of thought that way as well. Could they try to? Like say he had ADD or anything like try to come no. up with a medical diagnosis. No, because you know what? he yeah. he was very verbal and um, could finagle. He he really could do the work that mm. he needed to accomplish in the classroom. But when it came time to coming home and writing the stuff down, there was a such a severe disconnect. And that was something that I was I was constantly telling teachers that, you know, could he take the test verbally? Because I think he'd do a lot better if he just told you the answers as opposed to writing them down. And some teachers would do that, some teachers wouldn't. And it just kind of it depended, to be honest. Was it in those years when you were walking through even before we get to the heavier depression stuff? I mean, in those years, how did you cope? Like, were you like, did it worry you every day or was it more like something you just trusted? It was, it was frustrating. It was really frustrating because we knew that he was a smart kid. We knew that he could do these things and yet he chose not to. So, you know, we would end up taking away his phone. We would tell him he couldn't go out. We would, you know, do all of those sort of restrictive things that parents do. And, and over time, especially that first year of high school, those sort of things did not matter. And we really struggled with what matters to this boy? What, you know, you know, do we take something away to, to, to help him understand that he has to sort of accomplish these things? And more and more as time went on, fewer things mattered to him. Mm. So when did it first move from that to, okay, he's got a serious problem? Yeah. Um, So freshman year in high school, um, we sent him to Marquette High, which is an all boys Catholic high school. And that entire year, he he did not want to be there. And um, my husband graduated from that high school. And so he felt very pressured that he was there because dad was there and, and, you know, we were carving out this life for him and how dare we do that because we're not him, you know, that kind of thing. And so there was that real struggle and it, it erupted in, in uh, May of 2016 over an argument over his phone. We wanted to take his phone away and he wouldn't give it to us. And that's when he he blurted out that he was planning to kill himself anyway. So what did it matter? And um, he, my husband got him into his bedroom and closed the door. And, um, and meanwhile, I'm calling the police. And um, while this is all going on, Jack manages, and my, my husband is about six, two and, and a, over 240 pounds. Sorry, Joe. Um, but he's a big man. Um, and Jack somehow pulled Joe away from the door and got out of the house. And, um, and, and he said it like you knew, like you called the police, like you guys knew when he said, like, yes, you know, sometimes teenagers say, well, I don't end my life, you know, 
or I wish I was dead, but this was different to you? What was He's never He never made a threat like that before. And I will say that anytime uh, a, an adult, uh, anytime somebody makes that statement, I, 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 I can't say enough how seriously you have to take that. That's a line yeah. that's crossed. And once it's crossed, you have to take that seriously. Yeah. yeah. So he leaves the house and, or the house or just the room. What did he do? No, he, he took off. He left the house and he blew by me. And, and, you know, there was nobody who in the house that was able to stop him. And he was 15 at the time or could he drive? No, he was, well, you're a freshman, so you're 15. And um, so he left, but, um, and it was my, one of my best friends, Linda, who found him and brought him back home. And was he just wandering? He was wandering um, on the train tracks. And uh, we brought in uh, the crisis management folks from Waukesha County, which is the county we live in. And um, they talked to him. And the way that they they speak to uh, suicidal subjects, I guess that's what they would call them, is that they ask whether they are intending to harm themselves or someone else and whether they have a plan. Um, mm-hmm. th- that third question is is very critical. If if they have a plan, um, it's something that's in their pocket that they feel they can use whenever they need it. And sometimes, you know, one of the things that I say is that you know emotions are hard, and sometimes we need help. And sometimes these emotions are so overwhelmingly powerful that um, you know. In, in Jack's, he Jack kept a diary. He he said at one point, "I can't, I can't tell whether it's night or day," and it's it's true. They they just cannot see the light in their lives. It's very difficult. So you saw the diary after his death, or we did. We found it after he died, and um, we and I, I'm jumping ahead here, but. Uh, so Jack, Jack, let me just say this. Jack suffered from depression, mood disorder, and mood disorder covers like a whole bunch of different things mm-hmm. because he's not, he wasn't old enough really to say he was bipolar or had personality, uh, borderline personality mm-hmm. disorder or something like that. So they call it mood disorder. And then the third thing he had was oppositional defiant disorder. Mm-hmm. And as you might guess, the way you treat depression is very differently from how you treat oppositional defiant disorder. Right. And so um, it was, it was just, it was, it was tough. It was really hard to, to, to manage all of those different uh, mental illnesses. Right. So now, so this crisis center comes now, he hasn't tried to do anything at that point. It was just verbal. And did they, they left him home. Like you guys felt comfortable. Like, did you feel like you could have a conversation with him about it or how did it play out that yeah, day? Yeah. And it's interesting because, uh, well, it was interesting at the time because when he came home, um, yeah, there was a policeman there just making sure that he was going to be safe. And then, uh, the crisis manager came in and spoke to him separately and then we all came into the room together and when he came back into the room um he had a face that i had not seen before on him it was it was it was a face of exhaustion it was a face of 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 just complete sadness and and just you know here's this big strapping kid who just looked like he shrank in his own body um, it, it was just really, as a parent, it was just so sad to see. It really was. Um, 
But then we decided that because he had a plan in place and the, the, the crisis manager felt that he was not safe. So we ended up bringing him to the, to the hospital for a week of, of staying in the hospital. And um, Jack actually wrote to us that he thought he didn't know that there was a place like this for kids like him. Um, and it was just a, a place for him to sort of uh, unplug from everything, tune out from all of the conversations and noise from friends, and and sort of focus on himself, which he really was never all that good at doing. He was always willing to... He actually didn't mind being there. Uh, well, the first 24 hours were tough. I remember getting a phone call from him asking me to pick him up because there were a lot of crazy people there. Um, <laughs> which was very funny. Yeah. Um, and he was frightened. And I think mm -hmm. he, it frightened him to see what was there, where these people came from and, and, and how, and, you know, he, he came from a home with two parents, um, who were, you know, were, were good people. We, we go to church. We have, you know, two other kids who are functioning kids and, mm -hmm. um, and and he saw a lot of brokenness in that in that hospital, and it it surprised him, I think. Yeah, and so uh, he comes home, and things are better. Yeah, things are are better, and then um, that about two months later, he makes another attempt, and this one was yeah. The first one wasn't an attempt, right? He just ran. It, it was it was a threat, and he wasn't yeah. safe, and he had right. a plan. And the second time was an actual attempt. His plan was to we have these. Um, Elm Grove is a very small town and we have these silos next to the mm -hmm. train tracks and his goal was to climb the silos and jump as the train was coming and um, and he got to the silos he put his hands on the rungs and the way he ex explains it his body just atrophied and just could not he couldn't put his right hand over his left and just froze there. And so um, he was he was defeated in so many ways. One that he failed in his attempt, um, mm. and and you know he just felt like he couldn't he he couldn't do what he set out to do. And um, I remember that we went to the hospital again on that trip, and um, he uh, I remember him looking at me and asking me to let him kill himself. Let me do this. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I, you know, I was new at this at the time and I said no, but what we ended up doing was he was so overwhelmed by school. He felt he didn't belong there. He didn't want to be there because my husband was there, all that kind of stuff. And so we allowed him to go to the, um, the local public school. And, mm -hmm. um, cause I, you know, honestly it, at that point, nothing matters at that point more than right. your son alive. And so, um, so that's, that's what we did. And we allowed him to go to that school. Yeah. And I guess I should continue. Um, yeah, okay. take, take a minute if you need it. Yeah. I, this is, this is incredibly hard. Um, it, it almost feels like it spiraled so quickly then. It did. It did. And I think that what, what was great was the public school allowed him to sort of get back on his feet and, and, and sort of, he had time to sort of think things through, um, mm -hmm. to the point where that spring of his sophomore year, one of his friend's fathers died. One of his friends at, mm -hmm. at the Catholic school, his father died. And so he asked to go 
to the mass to support his friend. And, and so I drove him. And at the end of the mass, he comes out of the school and I'm like, well, how did it go? And he said, you know, mom, I really miss going to mass. I, I mean, mm. you could have knocked me over with a feather. <laughs> you really could have. And, um, yeah. and, and so I said, well, all things being equal, where would you like to be at school? And he goes, I want to come, I want to go back to Marquette. So, wow. so I said, you know what? let's play out this. It's funny. I was like, let's play out this summer. Um, he was planning to do, um, outward bound. Uh, they have a program called the intercept program. And, mm -hmm. uh, if I could make a plug for that, I, I honestly can't tell you it was such a great program for him. Um, he was up at the boundary waters in, in Minnesota and really learned a lot about himself. But, um, mm -hmm. at the end of that sophomore year, he made a third attempt uh, at his life and it was um that was that was interesting because he was trying to find a kid whom he knew carried a gun and to agitate him enough to shoot him and then mm -hmm. if that didn't work out he was going to try and drown himself um and neither one of those really worked out and it was mother's day that it was something like three o'clock in the morning and he's telling us, you know, what his plan was and all of, all of this. And I, and that morning, um, we, we decided as, as a family that he should go back into the hospital. And it was, it was truly one of the saddest days of, of our lives just because there, there was no arguing, there was no, you know, there was no fighting. It was just that he knew he was on a very reckless path and needed to get off of it. And it was there, that that hospital stay, where he decided to turn his life to Jesus. He decided wow. to go back to Marquette and and wow. he wanted he wanted to change his life. He really he was tired of this. And and I mm. it was it was just it was a sad and beautiful moment because you know it, it once again showed me how much of this it is an illness it is not a condition it is an illness just like some kids some people have cancer some people have diabetes this mental health you can it can be an illness mm. and so he goes gets out and goes back to school gets out um and he he would call he would say that he was jacked for jesus uh that summer and yeah. and went back to playing football and, you know, got back into school and he be doing better. Yeah. He was doing better. Certainly wasn't a, you know, yeah. walk through the park, but at the same time, you know, I describe his ups and downs. He had very manic highs and lows, but those, those episodes were not only less frequent, they were smaller in terms of their, you know, you know, yeah. part of me always, I'm like, did I, am, am I just getting used to them or are yeah, they, are, yeah. are they lower? And I do think that they were lower than before. And in that time, like, like he maintained, like he's, you've mentioned to me in talking, I mean, he's a popular kid, like he maintained friendships. Like how was his social? Like, was he oh. still hanging out with friends? He, did he have a girlfriend? 
He was very social. He he did for some time have a girlfriend. And when he didn't have uh, a girlfriend, he always had a date or somewhere to go. He, he always, I mean, yeah. when- He wasn't like this goth, like hiding in a room, you know, fighting with everyone. I mean, he seems like he was so pleasant. Um, it, one of the things that we we saw or we realized after Jack died was the Jack we saw at home was very different from the Jack, I would say 90% of people he came in touch with outside of this world <clears throat> saw. Um, he had friends, I mean, his visitation, there were, there were, um, there were 2000 people at the visitation and there were, wow. there were like 1300 people at the funeral. I mean, it was wow. unbelievable. This is all friends from school who just really liked him. From school, from outside of school, from... He just did it so well, huh? Yeah. And, you know, and, and that's also what social media does for these kids today, good and bad, that um, they're able to reach out to kids to, from all different walks of life from, you know, from as, you know, yeah. 30, 40 miles away in, in some cases. And so how that now he's now, now what were the things that were like, did he have triggers that would like, because now the next time was the time that he actually took his life. Was there any other attempts or? Well, you know what there, you know, it's, it's, those were the attempts that we knew of there. Yeah. There was another, uh, in August of 2018, um, he got into a fight with his brother and, um, it was interesting. My, at that time, my youngest was bigger than Jack and mm -hmm. um, and and Jack started swinging at Ben and Ben wouldn't swing back but he he would he caught Jack's hand and twisted it to get out of the way and um, and Jack ended up taking his car and we have GPS on the cars because he disabled mm -hmm. the the thing we had on his phone um, and so uh, we we, you know, he took the car and we thought he was going to another boy's house when in fact he was going to, um, it's called the Hone Bridge here in Milwaukee. Mm -hmm. And, um, the, he, he stopped on the, on the bridge and it's hard to tell whether he was going to jump or not. He told us that he was not, he was a big environmental science, science guy. And he was looking at the MMSD project, which was right in line with where he, he, he had stopped, but plenty of people called in that there was, mm -hmm. you know, that his car was on the bridge and he was outside the car. So, um, so I, we'll never know. And it wasn't, was it a situation where because he was trying so many times, like, did you get, like, did it become at any point where you were like, oh, just another day he's trying to, and, you know, like, or did you always feel like today could be the day he might? Yeah. Die? No, it, Joe, my husband would say it was never a matter of if, it was a matter of when. Um, mm. And and I later, you know, I've learned so much in the last six months, but one thing a professional told me that, um, once someone has made an attempt on their life, they always have that as a resource if things start going badly for them. And I, and I guess that was the that was the real tragedy because we didn't think things were going badly for him. Um, mm -hmm. He senior year, he was doing um, he was a, a, a teacher for confirmation and for Sunday school. 
He was on the God Squad. He was working with the National Alliance on Mental Illness to start telling his story so that he could help other people. I mean, he really was doing some great things. And I was in on his um, appointment with his psychiatrist two weeks before he killed himself. And I was there when she asked, and you know, how those appointments work is he, they will ask the patient questions while the parent is there. And then the parent leaves and they basically ask the same questions to see if it makes them more comfortable. But, um, you know, are you considering harming yourself? Do you have a plan? All these things he said no to when in fact on his, uh, he kept a private Instagram account and on yeah. that Instagram account, he said that he had a uh, he had figured out a way to kill himself. Um, August thirty first, he said that, and then even two weeks mm-hmm. prior, he wrote that he had thought about killing himself twice that week, and nobody knew. Well, and was it like grades would come? You know, was it specific trigger, or it would be like just a mood swing? Well, it was. It was. A, it it could have been any of those things. Yeah, grades weren't great. Um, I think he was becoming more and more frightened about what was going to happen after high school. Um, He really wasn't interested in applying to colleges. And as much as we told him that he didn't have to go to college, in fact, I really thought he would have been great at doing mission work. Um, But he, he just felt very, because we also wanted him to do outward bound, like the semester program. And he didn't want to do that because he was afraid of, of lagging behind uh, his class. Mm. You know, he didn't want to miss out on what the class was doing. So, Mm. um, but he just, you know, he, he really, he, he wanted to be with people. People wanted to be with him. I mean, uh, after he died, we, we found out like every day he was hugging kids, going to class, you know, just, you know, saying hello. And at an all boys school, they do that. They ask where there's yeah, something yeah. that goes on in the school. It's ridiculous, but it's fun. Um, but he was always, you know, one person said Jacket was the happiest kid in the, in the, in the whole school, wow. but it's, 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 Yes, I believe that, but also understand that it is so hard for somebody with depression to be that guy. So he had to work super hard to to show that, to put on that mask of happiness that everything is okay and and you know life is good. Because when he would come home, he you know I would get I would get Mister Mister Sad Mister I go to bed, Mom, leave me alone. I don't want to hear anything from you. And, and like you said, he would isolate and, and more often than not just fall asleep. And so the day that he actually did end his life, did it like, was he, can you talk a little bit about that maybe? Or yeah, actually um, that morning um, he knew that we wanted to talk to him about a whole bunch of issues. Um, And, and so he came upstairs and um, Jackie had, so many costumes and so many outfits that he would dress up in. It was kind of funny. Um, so he put on his Batman onesie and, mm-hmm. um, and came upstairs and hopped into bed with us, which is not unusual. Like we, we are a very loving family. Mm-hmm. And so he hopped into bed with us and we started talking about a whole bunch of things. You know, we talked about college and, and, and I, I said to him, I said, you know, I think, 
our job is to support you. You know, we only have you for, you know, six or seven more months, Jack. And, and we need to sort of get you to that next level. But sometimes I don't think that you, you, you want that help. And, you know, and I started talking to, we have these grasses outside our, uh, outside our house, they're long, tall grasses. And I, when I sit down to pray every morning, that's what I look at. And I started to think about the grasses as, as people. And I, you know, you see in, in the wind as being God and how, God works through people and, you know, sometimes those grasses bend to the point where they're almost breaking, but then, you know, the, the grasses underneath those bending grasses are supported and, and they come back up. And I think that's, you know, that's God working through people. And I said to Jack, sometimes I think you put a windbreaker on and you don't let anybody, you know, do what God intends. And, and I wish you would, because I think that, I think that things would be easier for, for everybody. And um, so, I mean, that's kind of how our conversation went that morning. And because it was going on, it was over an hour long. Um, And it was Halloween night and my other son, Ben, was having friends over. So I said, hey, listen, we got to we got to close this out. Um, we've got things to do. So I kissed him on the forehead and I said, I loved him. And then I got up and then he got up. My husband was there as well, but he got up and, um, I went into the kitchen to start cleaning some things and, and he went downstairs and, and he killed himself. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it was, and we didn't, we didn't know where he was because sometimes he would slip out of the house and just go. It seems so sud- like you had such a almost a good talk, right? I mean, they're not fighting. You're not like it just baffles the mind, right? Yeah, I would say the last fight we had, I, I don't even even call it a fight. It was it was in, in that August day where he was on the bridge, um, I, and I, I would say we did not really fight that much at all. And you know, earlier that week he had made some progress on a college essay and, you know, we did, we had some really good talks that whole week and it was one of his friend's birthdays and he went to the Bucks game with a whole bunch of guys and, and he told them, he was like, I'm feeling great. You guys, this is, you know, this, we are in the best times of our lives right now. And, you know, saying all of these things. Um, And, you know, it's been, it's been expressed to me that maybe he was at peace with what he was going to do at that point and that's why he was feeling so good but you know who knows who knows so you just walked down and found him yeah my husband did yeah yeah and and i'll tell you i i i even like just talking about it right now you you i lose my breath and i just like there's this this coldness that just comes over my whole body it's just it's something you would not want want on anyone and it's you know it's it's just it's just a terrible thing it's mind-boggling because i think there's this mental ideas that we have about mental illness where we think a person is going to be a certain way like you're describing this in some ways such a well and i think this is the thing that i mean in talking to this conversation i mean i'd love for your input even like what do you say to, I mean, you're doing a lot of work now in mental health. I want to lean into a couple of areas in our conversation here. Um, number one is how do you make spiritual sense out of it all? How do you, where does God fit into this? Let's start with that. And then we can talk yeah. about the 
side, which has sort of helped the parents. But but what have, what have you done spiritually yourself with this? Um, you know, it's funny. I was just recently on a retreat, and um, I can't even begin to say to you how many people at that retreat and before the retreat are you angry at Jack? I mean, that's I would say that's probably the number one question I get. Am I angry at Jack? And and I would say no. I am not. And there's been times where I have actually tried <laughs> to yeah. be angry at him. Um, and I just can't because I do see mental health as an in- illness for one. But I also know because of all of the, you know, I, I do, I stick my nose in my Bible. I would, tr- I, I, I'd, I'd like to say every single day, but I would say most sure. days. Sure. Um, and 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 actually, I've done a lot of the Bible readings that you have mm. uh, advocated, and and they've helped me tremendously. And to see that you know, all all anybody has, if you're struggling with something that you don't think belongs in your pocket, I think the the, the one of the greatest books to read is Job. Yeah, because. Here is Job, this guy who has it all. He's got a great farm. He's got a great family. And, and you know, I hope I say the story correctly, Lena, but, you know, the devil says to God, you know, I don't think that Job would be yeah. so so hot for you, God, if, if his life were in shambles. And, and God said, no, nah, I'll take that bet. And he did, and he ruined Job's life. Right. And 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 then all of Job's friends come around and say, hey, Job, you must have done something bad mm. to deserve this. And, and Job, you know, while he wrestled with it himself, he said, you know, God, I want my day in court with you. I want to, yeah. I want to know what I did wrong. Yeah. But then he's like, but there's a bigger plan here. They, I'm not leaving God's side. I'm supposed to be right here with God. And Boy, I identify with Job so much in that I I I wish that this didn't come to me. I yeah. really do because first of all, I don't think that I'm as worthy as I think God thinks I am because He gives things to people mm. who can handle them. Um, but at the same time, this is what is in front of me. This is my path, mm. and there's got to be some sort of greater greater good that happens out of this insanely horrible traumatic event that has happened in our lives and that's where I find my faith and I and I know I'll tell you there's been so many incredible things that have happened to me since Jack has died and and people who have been put in my path because you know in about a month or so ago I was really struggling I was you know again I was I was saying to myself, there's just something that I missed. And, and there, and I know that there's, you know, everyone says there's mm-hmm. nothing that you could or couldn't have done to change Jack's mind. I get that. But at the end of the day, there's one less person at my dinner table mm-hmm. and it just, you can't help but think there's something that you missed. And I, and I actually said this to a priest at confession and he, and he looked at me so squarely and he said, and that's exactly what the devil wants you to think, Patty, mm-hmm. because if you think that way, that you are not worthy, that you can't do anything, then you can't use your talents that God gave you. Mm-hmm. And so that is where I am. Anytime that I feel defeated, sad, helpless, I, I know that that is 
darkness at work in my soul Mm -hmm. and I need to, I need to wipe it out and I need to look to God and find my strength and, and get up, brush my teeth and, and do God's wealth that day. That's right. Yeah. I mean, I think that's would be, I would imagine that would be one of the hardest things is this, the fighting off the guilt of I could have, I should have. In fact, I'm guessing right now there are people listening who even now might be walking a path with their kids. And, and I, I can't like, I can't imagine like you want so good. For, I don't know how many kids and I can just, I watch my siblings who have kids and wanting them so much to make the right decisions. And, but you can't control every human no. has to be good. So, and, and, and sort of this idea of, of, of letting go and, and trusting God, even when the outcome isn't what you want it to be. Um, man, it takes a lot of faith in the Lord to rest in that. And I, I hear that. Um, in you, what would you tell parents who are listening right now who might be walking? Maybe they're not at the point where Jack got, but maybe they're struggling yeah. to know what to say. I mean, in hindsight, includes there's something that you can tell them to do or not do that might help them even make sense of of what their kids are going through right now. Yeah, I think one of the greatest lessons that I, that I that I learned was that. Um, especially if you have a, a child who's struggling with depression or, or any other mental illness, um, you often turn yourself into their caregiver. And mm-hmm. you're making the appointments, you're, you're getting their meals, you're doing whatever you need to do to sort of get, that, get, get him or her functioning for that day. And often we lose sight of, of our role as mom and dad. And, mm-hmm. and I think it's so important to remember that relationship you have with your child as their parent. And, you know, I was the other day I was in Ben's room and Ben has, um, he has this very cute bookshelf with his name on it. And I won't get rid of it, even though he's 16, because it's, <laughs> and it still has all mm-hmm. the children's books that they all read as kids. And, um, and, there was just one book in particular that um, the, it was the frog and toad. And I remember reading that book to Jack in particular, and I pulled it out and I started reading it again. And, um, and it's a bunch of, bunch of small stories in one, one book. And so I, I just said, boy, I wish I had pulled that out. And I read that with him because I think that would have helped our connection a little bit more. And, you know, if there's some sort of sweetness that you can bring back to that relationship that you had as, as a, when they were children, I think that there might be something in, in their heart that stirs to, mm. to, to have the, help them realize that you're on their side. Because as much as we always, we said that to Jack, I think that he struggled with that. You know, there, there was no, I, I've heard that from other people who have talked about like dealing with family members with anxiety and depression. In fact, recently I was talking with a woman whose son killed himself and, and with the wife of the son, he was a pastor of a church and they were saying this sentence, which kind of reflects the same thing, which you say things to them, but they're not hearing it. Right. You know, how do you, it's almost like there's a wall emotionally in their hearts. How do you get over that? Is there any way? And you're sort of hitting at that, but I guess in some ways it's maybe, maybe that's the difficulty is how do you speak a language that somebody who's struggling well, and, can hear you? And sometimes it's hard. I, you know, one of the things that we would try to impress on Jack 
especially when he was going to his therapist or a psychiatrist, they can't help you if you don't tell them the truth about what's going on. And um, one of his one of his um, uh, entries in his in his um, in his phone that he wrote, and I wish I could find it really quickly, but um, he basically said, you know, I know I'm supposed to take down this mask, but what if I don't like what's behind mm-hmm. it? And I think that there's a tremendous amount of fear that people with depression have about acceptance and, mm-hmm. and that real acceptance, the real acceptance that they, that they hunger for, but are so afraid of, of putting themselves and making themselves vulnerable to. And I, I think that par- as parents, we just have to constantly say, I am here for you. And, you know, again, trying not to direct their lives, but to support their lives. Um, Because, you know, and and the way that I always say it is that, you know, in in our circumstance, we tried to get our son as much help as possible. And he actually was pretty, pretty good at going to all of his, his appointments, but they have to want to. It's, it's like, you know, I, I often say it's like a, it's like a state championship game. You know, you can be as prepared as possible, um, to, to, you know, be in that game and still lose. I mean, look what happened on Monday night between Texas Tech and and Virginia. I mean, Texas Tech really put it all out there and they lost. And, and that's, that's the real horrible truth about this, this terrible disease, and I think that as, as much as we can show our, our, our loved ones love and show them that, that they are not alone and that God is with them, that they can see the light. You know, and I, and I do think that Jack, he was very faithful and he did want to be, he did want to get better. But I think, again, that emotion became so strong and overpowering that it just was very hard to fight and it was almost easier for him to take this exit yeah do you have any um thoughts on why it mental health illnesses have become more prominent it seems like like i know in the er we saw an increasing number of depression anxiety and such you know mood disorders every year of my practice and some is awareness but do you have any sense of that at this like is, is it- yeah i have a couple of thoughts i think i think <laughs> Honestly, I wish that we could all chuck our phones and throw them in the, uh, you know, throw them, throw them in the, in Lake Michigan. I really do. Um, I think that's a huge source of problems for kids. Um, a huge source for, of problems for, for anyone. Um, and I think also the number of choices we have in our worlds, you know, even just think about music today. I mean, there used to be, you know, Billy Joel, the Eagles, you know, <laughs> the Who, and Eric Clapton, and you know, a couple more. Now there are thousands of artists. Now how can you possibly listen to all of those people? And I'm sure for somebody that's overwhelming. And yeah. um, I, I just think that we have too many choices in our worlds. We have so much uh, technology, which is good and bad. Yeah. And and I think that we're disconnected. I I I've I. I can't even tell you how many of like we always made a point of having dinners together at least three times a week. We we almost made it to four a couple, you know, uh, you know, especially in the summertime we make it we would make it more. But um there's families who don't even sit down and and break bread yeah. at a table in a month. And I, and I just think that 
people need to realize that family is important. Family needs to be valued a lot more than a practice or a game. It, you know, I think that that, um, rings loud and true. Uh, I, I played college basketball and when I coached basketball, I would, I would ask parents, you know, what do you want for your kid? Do you just want them to play or do you, are you looking for a D1 scholarship? I mean, and is, is it worth it? You know, because you're, the kids are going to remember having that one dinner or, or taking that family trip or, you know, some of those other intimate, intimate events, as opposed to that one practice that they made, you know, I, I just, right. I think we lose sight of that. What do you, how have you been um, interacting and dealing with the, with Beth, Kate and Benjamin? How have things been with that? Um, well, Kate is at school and um, I, boy, I couldn't have ordered that kid any better. Mm-hmm. Uh, she just is such a wonderfully thoughtful young woman. And um, she is, she is seeing a therapist. She has a phenomenal group of women around her. She um, is the goalie for their field hockey team at mm-hmm. Rochester. Who finished eighth in the nation, by the way? But, awesome. <laughs> um, but, uh, but you know, and and actually, Jack died in the middle of her season, and um, I remember having a conversation with her where she said, "Mom, I don't, you know, in terms of whether she was going to be here in Wisconsin or in New York." And we ended up flying her back and forth mm-hmm. like a ping pong ball. But um, but she said, "Mom, I have two families, and I don't want to mm-hmm. disappoint either one." And and um, she worked through a lot of things. She had to drop a class, but she's really she's sure. a really resilient resilient kid. Um, to, when she grows up, she wants to build yeah. roller coasters. So um, she she's she is she's a kid who bounces. Um, ben, on the other hand, I think um, you know he is working through his world. Uh, he saw the best and the worst of Jack on a daily basis. They drove together um, and they their rooms mm-hmm. are right next door to each other. And I think that he, he and and we always, of, of my three children, we, his nickname mm-hmm. was the Fuzzy Bunny. He is Mr. Sensitive um, and he's Mr. Rule, r- you know, rule play. He plays by the rules um, and he, you know, and he is a very good, well-intentioned and good kid and always a happy kid. But there's, you know, he yeah. doesn't have his brother and he'll say to, he'll say to me, you know, I love you, but you you just don't do it for me today, mom. (laughs) But, um, and I get that. And, and, you know, this is a process. Um, one priest said to me, Hey Patty, it takes 45 minutes for a cake to bake. You can't bake a cake in 20 minutes. It takes time. So I think that, um, you know, we're six months into this new world. And I think that while I still don't, uh, you know, I, I, sometimes I just, I, I, I'm like, he, he's away, mm-hmm. you know, he'll come back and, and he's not coming back. I know that, but, um, this is all very new territory for us. So I think we're, we're, we're being very caring and loving toward each other. And I think that if, if anything in this, this tragedy has brought us all together and really has made us a tighter unit than ever, we're constantly checking in with each other. And I think we're, in, in many ways, we're, we're all, we've all changed how mm. we are with each other. 
we were more present. There's there's no doubt in my mind that that I feel that everybody is more present with each other. In fact, instead of going to Florida on spring break, we're going to Rochester to visit, visit mm-hmm. Kate and Esther. Wow, that's something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know you're serious about being together when you go to Rochester. No, that's crazy. Yeah. You're a yeah. remarkable woman, Fatty. I, uh, I just am hearing you tell this story and there's so many layers of pain, I'm sure, and just your ability to to walk us through this. And just, I know that people are listening, might want to reach you, give them your email in a minute, but um, what final thoughts here? What is your hope and prayer moving forward? What do you hope will come out of all of this? Well, right before Jack died, he um, adopted a phrase for lack of a better way of saying it. He he said, and it's on his prayer card. He said, I aim to change the world one heart at a time. Mm. And if there's anything that, you know, in this whole craziness, I never have asked to, I really haven't asked God, why did this happen? I've asked, what does this mean? Mm. And I think that, I think that we as a family are meant to carry on what Jack intended, which is to change the world one heart at a time. And um, I, I, I want kids who are struggling to know that they are here. They are. There's a reason that they are here on this earth, and God specifically wanted them to be here. So they just kind of need to spend some time and figure out why, you know, why they're here. And 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 if they don't, and if they can't hear it, that that they should go and try and get help. And it's not. There's really nothing to be ashamed of to get get help. You know, if, if you, if you had cancer or you had diabetes or you had some other illness, you go to a doctor. This is an illness. You have to go to a doctor. Yeah. That's all. Well, you are truly an amazing woman and we will be praying for you. Um, we I recognize how fresh this all is, but I also see God's hand of grace on you and giving you the strength in weakness. You are you. Um, just a, really an inspiration how can people reach you if there's a parent right now who's just feels like they're in a fog trying to figure things out? They need some help. Perhaps yeah. we ask you some questions that they might not be able to ask over the podcast. Yeah, no, uh, absolutely. My email is patty, P-A-T-T-Y dot Kujawa, K-U-J-A-W-A at gmail.com. I would also highly recommend that folks reach out to their national, their, their NAMI branch, and it's the let me see if I can pull it up. It's uh, the National Association for Mental Illness. And um, it's, uh, I believe it's just NAMI.org. Uh, okay. That's helpful. And if they, uh, we'll yep. try to put uh, in the podcast notes some of these uh, um, links and whatnot. But Patty, I just want to thank you for your time, but mostly for sharing your heart. You really did touch us. Um, you're touching us one heart at a time. So I think you're living out the legacy that I think Jack had um, envisioned for his life. And I am convinced that God will continue to use you mightily. And um, thank you so much for being here. Oh, I appreciate it, Lena. I really do. And and my prayers go out to anyone who's struggling with this. It is not an easy road, but no, God gives you what you can handle. So mm-hmm. on that. Well, and uh, I mean, on that note, I just uh, want to end the podcast. I know this has been a hard conversation. We had a little bit longer than I usually do, but I believe every minute um, 
just will be so blessed a help to someone you guys know you can email me at uh, lena at livingwithpower.org but check out our resources at livingwithpower.org I want to read you just a few verses as we end and then uh, we'll close for today and I'll see you again next week it's from Lamentations 3 and it reads in verse 17 my soul is bereft of peace I've forgotten what happiness is so I say my endurance has perished so has my hope from the Lord and then he says but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And it is on that, on Him, that we rest our hope. Have a great day. I'll see you guys next week.